Let's Talk Native is produced at the Eltian Studios on the Cataragas territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. And welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane, and look, we're we're streaming this um, on a live stream on Facebook, which is something we don't usually do with this program. Uh, I know I do it with my radio show, but I don't usually do it with my podcast. But um, well, look, special uh, <laughs> occasions call for uh, special, uh, um, I guess, reactions. I guess. Uh, today I'm going to talk about the mess that is Seneca Nation Gaming, and it's you know it's not even just the Senecas, but that's what's coming to focus. Um, I talked about this on my radio show last week, and I felt like I needed to do um, a special podcast on this issue. So let's um, let's get into it. First off, let me be clear here: no Senecas want the current compact as it's being interpreted. Um, to exist. None of them. I mean, and in fact, Seneca leadership that is really being called down now because they appear to have thrown up the white flag on this thing and, uh, and, and are going to concede to the state. They have been against this. In fact, they've been against it, you know, for, for many years. I mean, it, twice in the last 10 years, the Seneca leadership has stopped revenue from flowing to the state. Twice. First time they did it uh, because the, the state was competing directly against them in uh, in gaming by building their racetracks out into uh, casinos, and that's what they were calling them, casinos. Um, that and those racetracks were in what was supposed to be the exclusivity zone of the of the Seneca Nation, and so the Senecas stopped paying and said, "Look, we got we got to sort this thing out. You guys are competing directly against us." The state's argument was, well, we're not really violating the language and the terms of the compact. And we'll, we'll talk about some of that in, in a, as we go farther. But at the end of the day, the Senecas had withheld something like $400 million from the state uh, over a couple of years. And ultimately worked out a deal with the state and they paid them $200 million. So $200 million got paid. $400 million was what was supposedly... Um, uh, supposedly, a, a, you know, a, 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 a due, and uh, and essentially the, the 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 state conceded that they were going to get hit with with some sort of punishment, some sort of penalty for violating the the terms, the the you know the intent of the of the revenue sharing, and they basically took half the payment. Now, in that first 
14 and essentially 14 and a half years of the um, of that uh, compact as it was as it was negotiated the Seneca Nation paid 1.4 billion dollars to uh, to the state of New York it would have been 1.6 billion uh, but it, but again, they they withheld that two hundred million, and, and the state agreed to allow the Senecas to keep that. But they paid one point four billion dollars in exchange for the the state's concession, which was supposed to be an exclusivity deal. Now, to be clear, there was no gaming exclusivity uh, per se in Western New York, and it's supposed to be like fifteen over fifteen counties, I think, or you know, any all of Western New York. The state was still doing their lotteries and, in fact, expanding the lotteries. And I mean lotto, um, quick draw, uh, you know, expanded scratch-offs. I mean, they, they expanded their gaming. And they built their racetracks into, uh, into slot parlors, basically, three of them that, that were in this area. So the state had not given an exclusivity. And here's the thing. If, if the argument was the state will, but the state um, gave them an exclusivity for class three gaming, well, they didn't really give them that exclusive exclusivity. The fact of the matter is the Senecas had that exclusivity. The state couldn't do class three gaming. That's just, that's just it. They couldn't do class three gaming. It was prohibited by the state constitution. Eventually they would change their constitution. And at the, essentially at the end of this, 14-year uh, uh, gaming compact term, the state had had passed Class 3 gaming. So the state did not give up something. They never had the ability to do Class 3 gaming in the first place. So that's what took place in the, in the first term. Now, the next time the Senecas withheld payment, which came at when this uh, gaming compact, the 14 years, came to an end at the end of 2016. So why did the Seneca stop paying? Well, they stopped paying because, for one thing, they knew they were already getting screwed anyhow. And that's why they had the, the dust up, which had them, you know, essentially cutting a check in 2013 and continuing to pay throughout the rest of that, uh, of that term. But they figured, you know, look, we'll just pay it through the rest of the term because the, there's no language in the compact as it relates to extending this compact that calls for any, uh, any continued payments. And, and there isn't. There is no language in the gaming compact between the state of New York and the Senate Nation that call for payments beyond that, uh, beyond 2016. And, and look, and before that, there was not only was it laid out um, the, the years that it would be paid, but what the percentage was. Started out at 18, went up to, uh, up to 22%, and ultimately for the last seven years of that compact, it was at 25%. 25% of the net slot drop. Now, I know I've said this before, I've explained this on the show before, but I, let me explain it again. 25% of the, of, of the slot revenue sounds great. The problem is it wasn't 25% of the slot revenue. It was 25% of the net slot drop, which means all the money that comes into a slot machine minus the payout, the state got 25% of that, that, what was left. All of the expenses, all of the operating expenses, the, you know, the, the, the footprint, the, the square footage, the, the, the cost of the machine, the cost of personnel, the cost of the casino, all of, all of the other costs came out of the Seneca's 75%. So when you break it all down, what really what the state was getting was closer, almost closer to 50% of the 
of the net revenue of the slot machines because they didn't have to cover any of the expenses of, of the slot machines out of, the, out of their 25%. So by the time you take all of the, you know, employees and uh, leases and licenses and, you know, free booze, all of the stuff that the Seneca Nation you know, um, expended money on for the, the slot pa patrons all came out of the Seneca Nation side of it. All of it. So, you know, financing, all of it anyway. So when we say 25%, just keep in mind that it's not 25% of, uh, of the net revenue. It, it is really closer to 50%. So that, that had come to an end because in 2017, the, even though there's language in the, um, the original compact that talked about renewing and the process for renewing, it basically um, never said anything about um, renewing the uh, or, or adding more time to the payment schedule or addressing the percentage. Nothing. Ne it never addressed any of it. Now, keep in mind, <laughs> the next seven years, which started, uh, which we're in now, which started in, in 2017, is happening <laughs> while the state has entered in class three gaming. They've got casinos throughout the other parts of the state, including one that is in the same gaming market. It may not be in the so-called exclusivity zone, but it's right on the edge. So it's, it advertises in, in this market. One that is right here, uh, you know, in, in the same gaming market as, as Seneca Gaming. There are three, three casinos. So now both, both and, and I almost hate to always have to separate what is considered the nation, which is really... When people say the nation, they mean the government. But government officials and the rank-and-file Senecas do not want to pay this money. They, they, they didn't, when they learned that they had to pay, that they paid $1.4 billion, and only $400 million of that came back to Western New York, a billion dollars got sent to the state that never came back. Never came back. So when the Senecas learned that number, and then started thinking about the fact that there's slot parlors in their exclusivity zone. Look, nobody, nobody liked that idea. But see, here's the problem. The problem is there is this veiled threat out there that if the state doesn't renew the compact or maintain that they have a compact with the Senecas, that they somehow have the power to, um, to shut, shut a casino down. And it's and, and they don't, but but it's an implied threat. And in fact, when this when the Seneca Nation gave that two hundred million dollars back in twenty thirteen during that first dispute, I talked to to some of the counselors, and to a person on council, and in fact the same thing came out of the out of the president at the time, to a person they said we had to make a payment, otherwise the state wouldn't have renewed its compact in uh, in twenty seventeen. So. Basically, they're saying if we didn't make some payment and go back to paying revenue sharing, regardless of the fact that there was, it was debatable at, at that point whether they had any kind of exclusivity at all, they were afraid. They were afraid that if the state didn't renew the compact in 2017, that they'd have to shut down. And in fact, part of the reason that the, the Senate tried to play it so coyly by not um, talking about this extension this renewal this next seven years of the compact they never even brought up the fact that look look we're not paying you in the next seven years they, they kept silent on it they think well we're, we're not going to say anything 
We're just gonna let it slip through, let the state agree to the renewed compact, and then if they're surprised when we stop paying them, it, it's, it's on them. So they kind of, in a way, the Seneca Nation tried to sneak it through. I mean, they, they sure as hell weren't gonna say, look, we're renewing this compact, but, but, be, but let it be noted, there's no language in this renewal, there, and there never has been any language in this renewal that, that calls for us to continue payments. Now, they kept quiet about it. Well, and, and, and look, they were right, but they knew that if they raised the issue, that they might get the state to walk away from the compact. They, and they didn't want that. They were, they were afraid. So this fear is, is, what, um, is what really is the issue. You know, and I've talked about it, and I'll talk about what I consider the three big questions uh, that the Interior Department has ducked for years. And, and, but on, on the, the biggest question is, was the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, IGRA, was it drafted in such a way to give the states that much power, to, to give them the power to shut down a native casino once it was open? And the, and the short answer is no. And in fact, the long answer is no. But you see, IGRA says that a gaming compact with the state is required for the, you know, for the development of a casino. What it doesn't say is that once that compact has been approved, a state can simply walk away and, and force that casino to close. It doesn't say that. In fact, there was language in the original form of IGRA that gave native territory, native peoples, some leverage if a state was unwilling to negotiate a compact or you know, would not negotiate in good faith, which you know, good faith has been gone a long time. We'll talk more about that. But the language in the original compact said that, that if a state refused to negotiate a compact, that a, uh, a tribe, a nation, could sue the state and, and bring them into, into a federal court and force them to, um, to negotiate a compact in good faith. Florida challenged that. And they said, look, that violates the U.S. Constitution. You can't create a law that would make a state an unwitting participant in a lawsuit. I think it was the, the 11th Amendment or something like that of the Constitution. And Florida won. So that provision of IGRA got, got stripped. It, it was severed from, from the law. So no longer did the state have, uh, or did the native territories, native peoples, have the ability to force a state into a compact. Now, nothing ever got written to replace that, you know, to, to even up the balance of power there. But what was talked about was that if, look, if a, if a state doesn't want to negotiate a compact, then uh, the, the Native Territories can compact with the feds. They have the Interior Department. They have the National Indian Gaming Commission. They, they, you know, they'll, they'll negotiate it elsewhere. But see, it's not in the law. So again, what has been implied and, and the veiled threat that has been allowed to hang out there is that if you spend half a billion dollars or if you build m several casinos like the Senecas have and you have a billion dollar investment in, in gaming operations with a compact and then the state says, I'm not going to renew, that the state can somehow shut you down. And, and it's simply not true. And, and it's never happened. But the question doesn't ever get answered. Iger was passed in 1989. It was the Bush administration. And not the dumb Bush, but the CIA Bush, <laughs> the, the father. That's how old the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is. And in those 30 plus years, you know, we're, we're into the 33rd year here, 
the interior department has failed to do its job, or I should say the interior departments, because again, you got Bush Sr., you had uh, you know eight years of Clinton, you had eight years of Bush Jr., you had eight years of Obama, you had four years of Trump, and now we're, we're well into, into the Obama administration. And the interior department still refuses to enforce the regulations of IGRA. Now, keep it, let, let's be clear here. The regulations have to be enforced against the states, even more so than against native territories. And this isn't about whether a state violates the terms that they negotiated with the native territory over the compact. That is, no, it's whether the state is violating the law, not the compact, but the law, the federal law. So the one big question, and it's the most important question, is can a state shut down a casino or cause a casino to be shut down by simply walking away from a gaming compact? And the answer should be easy, and it should have been addressed. It should, be, it should have been answered clearly, because without that question being answered, you ha again, you have this failed threat. It's, it's essentially extortion. You have this implied threat that if a native territory doesn't give the state what it wants, and I'm not even just talking about revenue sharing. Look, there are other concessions that, that native territories gave up for the compact, and I'm going to talk about what the Senecas gave up uh, in, in a minute here. But there are other things that, that got, whether it was pushed on the native territories or whether their, <laughs> in their infinite wisdom, their legal counsel that are supposed to be gaming experts thought, well, this is necessary. We, we have to throw this in you know, to, get, uh, to sweeten the pot. Look, there is no requirement in IGRA for there to be revenue sharing. In fact, it is clear that revenue sharing has its caveats. It can't be a tax. In fact, tax and states cannot tax native gaming. It's, it's, they just can't do it. It's illegal. They can enter into agreements where they get a share of revenue, but they have to give something for it. And they have to give something that is substantial and quantifiable. And by substantial, it means that whatever the state gives, it has to meet or exceed more likely. It has to be bigger than the revenue sharing that they receive. Well, why is that? Well, because it has to be an advantage to the native gaming operation. If it's just a wash, then there's no, there's no benefit. If there's no benefit to the gaming operation, then why enter into revenue sharing? I mean, I guess you could say you do it just to be nice, but, but keep in mind, $1.4 billion to the state in the first term of their compact, only $400 million came back to Western New York. A billion left the entire region. I mean, that's an economic hit, folks. That's, that's sucking a billion dollars out of essentially a struggling economy in general because of the region. So <laughs> this isn't a, there's no requirement for native territories to somehow be gracious to the municipal governments around us or to the state government. They have the right to do gaming. In fact, they had the right before IGRA, before the Supreme Court ruled that native people could do gaming. They didn't give them that right. They just ruled, they acknowledged it. So we've always had the right to do this. What IGRA was supposed to do was supposed to provide some protections at the federal level against organized crime and against aggressive states. And it was supposed to ease the ability for, uh, for gaming nations to, co to contract with vendors because now there was an underlying federal statute and it was clear that the gaming operations were legal and all that other stuff. But what's happened in these 30-plus years is that states have become increasingly aggressive and to the point where they are forcing 
gaming revenue sharing agreements in their compacts, forcing it, which, which is illegal. You know, I mean, look, the Seneca's gaming compact was not great. And, and actually the, the revenue sharing, you know, coming out of the gate, the revenue sharing wasn't the big red flag. One of the things that the Seneca's had given up was, had to do with their, uh, their ability to reacquire lost land. The Seneca's have a unique, a unique ability to reacquire land. And it came out of a settlement uh, that was passed through Congress. And it's called the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act. And it settled the fact that, that the lease for the city of Salamanca was, had expired. And so how, was, you know, how are they going to go forward on that? And then it acknowledged that the Seneca's kind of got screwed in that deal. So they paid the Seneca's a bunch of money. Both state and federal government paid the Seneca's a bunch of money. And, but they added the, the final clause or term of that, of, of that law said that the Seneca's could reacquire lost lands using the money that they, that they had you know, gotten in the settlement. They could, and they didn't, it wasn't going to be reacquired as, as trust land. It was going to be as if it were a part of their original territory. So they could reacquire lands in their ancestral uh, land, uh, land claim area. And of course, that's how a casino in Niagara Falls exists. exists. And in fact, a casino in Buffalo exists. In fact, even the land, uh, even the Allegheny Casino was built on acquired land. So that land was, was acquired. But see, what happened was, and I don't know who's responsible for this. All I know is that the counselors agreed to this. And, and frankly, the Seneca people agreed to this because there was a referendum on this, on this gaming compact. They agreed to reduce their land acquisition funds after acquiring the properties for the casinos, they would reduce their land acquisition funds down to $5 million. And any lands beyond those three gaming sites that would be acquired would only be for non-commercial development. That's why the Seneca Nation has a golf course in Niagara Falls that they pay taxes on. They could not take that land and take it off the tax rolls and, and make it part of Seneca Nation territory. Why? Because they gave that away in the compact. To me, that was the most ridiculous and insane thing. And whoever was responsible for even offering such a thing should have been hogtied. I mean, it's a, that was a terrible... I, I, I said at that time, the Senecas wanted gaming in the worst way, and that's what they got. Now, I, I wasn't opposed to the idea of sharing some revenue, especially with the local, with the region. So they're not only to buy a little bit of political will, but but to be good neighbors. But what, what came out of that revenue sharing agreement was something that made the lion's share of that revenue share go to Albany, not come back to the area. So it had no benefit, economic benefit, to the region. And look, it, for me not to understand what 25% of the net slot drop uh, would, would equate to is reasonable. But for the experts that were guiding the Seneca Nation saying, oh, no, you, you'll pay them 18% for a couple of years, then you'll pay them 22% for another five years, and then you'll pay 25% of the net slot drop for the final seven years. Now, in order for that revenue sharing agreement to be legal, the concession that the state gives, which was supposed to be exclusivity, had to, be, had to meet or exceed the revenue that was going to be shared. So it had to be substantial and it had to be quantifiable. So to be quantifiable, it means that you should be able to measure the value of, the, of that exclusivity. And again, keep in mind, 
the New York State was still doing plenty of gaming. Hell, even on Seneca territory and out in, in the city of Salamanca. Lottos, you know, um, scratch-offs, you know, quick draw or crack draws, they called it. I mean, all of this stuff was happening in Seneca territory. And, and not to mention not-for-profits doing all of their, you know, the, the, the legions and the, uh, you know, the American legions and the churches. And, you know, and look, not suggesting they should have banned all that. But let's not pretend that lots of gaming dollars wasn't coming out of the region, out of this gaming market already. And this is before sports books and sports betting. So we, and we'll address that a little bit later, perhaps. So they didn't really have an exclusivity. And of course, there were these racetracks and those were, those were gaming venues. And in fact, that's what the state used to enhance those gaming venues into what they were calling casinos. Now, the interesting thing is the, the state was really crafty in how their language on their exclusivity would go. They actually used language that accommodated the fact that the, the state had lotteries. The gaming machines that are in these slot parlors at the racetracks, they say that they are not really slot machines. They aren't class three gaming. They are called VLTs. I mean, video lottery terminals. So the state used language in the compact that would essentially give them a pass on building out their lottery even more to the extent that it was built out in terms of slot machines that essentially were machines that played like regular slot machines paid out in, in many ways, just like regular slot machines, but technically mechanically <laughs> they were tweaked just enough that they, they, they did not necessarily um, uh, fall into the class three designation of slot machines. So that's what the state had. And they were crafting that. And that was the argument they made. They said, well, we're not really violating the language in the compact. Well, see, here's the thing. There's the compact, but then there's the federal statute, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. And according to IGRA, what the state conceded has to have a substantial value. And by substantial, it means that it has to meet or exceed the revenue that they're sharing. So if the state was going to continue to compete against the Seneca Nation, the value of that exclusivity drops. And, and, and it's ironic because as the Senecas were paying more from 18 to 22 to 25% of that net slot drop, um, again, almost up to 50% of their net revenue from these uh, slot machines, the value of the, of the exclusivity that the state was giving actually diminished because they were putting more and more machines in the racetracks. Which meant that the gaming revenue sharing, the revenue sharing agreement not only was questionable at the beginning, but it became more lopsided and essentially illegal as time went on. Now, again, did the gaming experts who advised the Seneca Nation properly quantify the value of that exclusivity? Did it come up to $1.4 billion or, or essentially $1.6 billion? And did they project the revenue that they would pay to the state accurately did they know that if you if you projected the revenue sharing that they would be paying 1.6 billion dollars to the state i mean i didn't know and maybe the senecas didn't know but their gaming experts who were advising them on this compact should have known in fact they should have had spreadsheets they should have had an independent industry analyst evaluate the value of that 
of, of that exclusivity, did they? I've never seen such a thing, so I don't think they did. So right out of the gate, the revenue sharing agreement was questionable. In fact, <laughs> that was one of the reasons that the, the Interior Department did not give the gaming compact its seal of approval. Well, if they didn't approve it, then how did it go through? Well, see, that's the, that's the thing about the Interior Department. They have three options when they evaluate a gaming compact. They can pass it, they can approve it, they can reject it, or they can do nothing and remain silent. Well, that's what they did. In fact, that's what the Interior Department does for the most part. So they allow a bad compact with land issues tied to it, one that would diminish a federal statute with, with lopsided revenue sharing agreements. They let that stuff go through and they never look back at it again. And they refuse to ever answer the big question that if a state says, you either give us a revenue sharing agreement or we're not gonna renew your compact and, sh and we'll shut you down, they won't answer that question. And at the end of the day, that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Whether the state can walk away from a compact or refuse to negotiate one. And, and look, we're having that discussion now. Because not only did the Seneca Nation just agree that they would cut a check for what they've been withholding since, since the beginning of 2017, which is somewhere around a half a billion dollars. And, you know, the numbers seem to be a bit fuzzy. About whether it's $450 million or... Um, or something less than that, uh, you know, or, or whatever. But it, it's somewhere between 400 and $500 million they're writing a check to the state because they've been with, withholding it. It would have been a lot more had COVID not impacted the revenue of, of these, these gaming operations. It would, have been, it would have been a lot more. I mean, the, 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 the concern was that this next seven years, was going to produce a billion dollars worth of uh, of demand from the state on that twenty five percent of the net slot drop. A billion dollars. It probably isn't going to reach that that number, even if they pay it, because because COVID has had such a um, devastating effect on revenue. Now, and that doesn't mean that the Seneca's got a break. It means that they had less money. So I mean, it, it, yeah, it's less money to the state, but it means the Seneca's had significantly less money. Let me, let me back up just one thing, because here's the, the, the bottom line on this thing. Is the Seneca Nation more competitive by uh, enjoying this exclusivity and paying over 100, close to $200 million a year for it? Or are they more competitive by not paying? Well, there's a simple answer to that. They're, they're much more competitive by not paying. Now, how do I know that? Well, because the, the closest class three casino, which is supposed to be outside of the, uh, the exclusivity zone, but certainly in the same market, is DeLago. It is a state licensed casino out near Rochester. The operators of DeLago have not made much money because why? Because the gaming market's saturated. And in fact, they have not been able to pay the debt service associated with building the casino. They're only paying the interest payments. And the operator, the, the CEO or whomever, out there, Delago said, we cannot compete against the Seneca Nation if they are not uh, sharing revenue with the state. Let me say it again. He said they could not compete against the Seneca gaming operations if Senecas were not paying the state. Well, there you go. There's your answer. They're less competitive if they have to pay. 
and they're more competitive. In fact, their competitive advantage comes when they don't pay the state, not when they do pay the state. Because the law goes outside of that exclusivity zone. They're not affected by what the state conceded. And they can still advertise on all the radio stations and TV stations and everything else out here. So regardless of what value you place on, if, if you could place a value on the so-called exclusivity, it has to go, it actually lit, literally has to go to zero if paying for that exclusivity is, makes you less competitive. So even if you could put a value on what the state claims to be giving, conceding to the Senecas, if by buying that exclusivity with, you know, with $1.4 billion in the first uh, 14 and a half years of operation makes you less competitive, then it doesn't have any value. So, and what does that mean? It means it's illegal. And, you know, so that's, that's the second question, right? The, the, the first question, again, let me reiterate. The first question is, can a state shut down a casino, a, a native casino, by not renewing a compact? And look, 30, we're on 33 years here of IGRA. But now there's a native person who's heading up the Interior Department. Cabinet-level person, Deb Haaland. Deb Haaland actually was engaged in some of these battles with the state of New Mexico because she was employed by um, L L Laguna Pueblo and gaming revenue and revenue sharing was, was a contested issue there in New Mexico. So she knows the issue. She may not know it at the, at the level that the Senecas are, are confronting uh, New York State with, but she knows it. And I don't know. I don't know if the Seneca Nation has really successfully put her feet to the flames on this thing and said, look, we're not holding you accountable for what 30 years of um, ineptness uh, has, uh, you know, ha has come from the Interior Department. But you're there now. You're native. You know this issue. You've been involved in this issue. It's on you to clarify first that one big question. Then the next question is, <laughs> is will the Interior Department intervene and stop an illegal revenue sharing agreement? Because look, the Interior Department made it clear that if the state isn't providing a concession that is quantifiable and substantial, then it's a tax and it's illegal. That's what the Interior Department said as these revenue sharing agreements were, were being entered into. So whether the state can say, well, technically, we have followed the letter uh, because we were so crafty in how we, we put together that compact. You know, we only put class two machines and you can't, um, you can't withhold funds if we are only taking class two gaming away from you. The fact that their class two gaming machines were impacting the Seneca's class three gaming isn't a concern in the compact, but it is a concern when you, when you place a value on the, uh, on the exclusivity provision in the first place. And so will the interior department void and sever a revenue sharing agreement, especially if the party that's being forced is having this forced upon them because the first question isn't being answered, doesn't want to pay. If the Seneca say, look, we're, we're fine with the compact as it's written, but we need to sever the, the revenue sharing agreement. And if New York State says no, you know, if you sever that, then it, 
then uh, you know, then you don't have a combat and you got shot down. Well, this is where the Interior Department comes in. And there is a third question. And the third question kind of gets into what has been really the bulk of the conversation within the Seneca Nation over this whole issue. And that has to do with the fact that once this dispute began, um, settled the first one, settled the first time they withheld, and it cost the, the state $200 million, um, but the Senecas kept paying at the same rate and everything. They didn't, they didn't, they, they didn't cut anything down, right? I, actually, I take it back. I think they withheld $600 million and they cut a check for $400 million and kept $200 million. I'm sorry, I, had to, I got those numbers wrong before. So essentially, they diminished the amount that they owed to the state by a third, but they didn't cut down the percentage that they would pay going forward by, by any percentage. They kept paying at 25% of the net slot drop. Once again, closer to 50% of the net revenue. And part of the reason they did it, and they did it quietly, I presume, is because they knew that they were quietly going to end the payments altogether come 2017. But you see, when they started that, the state forced them into, into binding arbitration, which again, part of the compact, part of the, the bad part of the compact, says that the, the, this is how the Seneca Nation and the state of New York will resolve its, uh, um, its disputes. And the way that the arbitration happens is the Senecas get to select a judge, and they select um, Kevin Washburn, who was a former you know, assistant secretary uh, you know, at the Bureau of Indian Affairs, somebody who knows gaming, he's native. They selected him as one of the judges. Then the state selected a judge who was obviously going to be partial to the, <laughs> to the state. And then the third judge was selected by those two. So the two white guys ruled against the Seneca Nation. And they said, look, even though the language doesn't say you have to pay for the next seven years, we're saying you do. Kevin Washburn flat out said, those two guys, they just rewrote the compact. So the question ends up being, if arbitration ends up amending or adding language to the compact, does the Interior Department have to approve those changes? And that's where the Senecas held most of their, their, their debate. But the problem is they had the Trump administration, who was uh, you know, in, in, in office at the time, was not exactly uh, partial to, to Native issues. And their Interior Department wasn't going to do a damn thing for the Seneca Nation. So they didn't get much cooperation. They cited some of the earlier language from the Interior Department as it related to, um, to revenue sharing and, uh, and the like, but, but they had nothing contemporary and nothing that addressed specifically what the Senecas were going through. So the arbitration ruling stood. Seneca's tried to challenge it in federal court, which wasn't going to work because it stipulated in the compact that they couldn't challenge the, uh, the arbitration ruling in federal court. They tried to challenge it a couple of times in federal court but through different means. They, during this administration, they did get some sentiment back from this Interior Department that the existing revenue sharing uh, agreement was problematic. In fact, the, the Interior Department, not Deb Howland directly, but the Interior Department under this administration actually suggested it might be illegal to make revenue sharing payments as, as it stands with this gaming compact. But you know what? The judge, Judge Scretney out here in Western New York, he's never ruled fairly for the Senate and he ruled against them again and said, no, we don't care what the, what the Interior Department's saying. You know, we're, we're sticking you with, with this bill. So what happens if the Senate don't pay? And, and, and especially if there's some rumbling from the Interior Department that you may be able to get something out of them, even though they still won't answer the big questions. 
I mean, it's still, essentially, the Senecas are still fighting this on their compact, not on IGRA. And that's the problem that I have with this whole approach. This whole approach has been focusing on what is really a pretty crappy compact in the first place. And, and, and some language that isn't clear and some that is clear. I mean, because it is clear that, that there's no language that suggests payments should continue through um, after, after that 14-year uh, initial term of the, of the compact. <laughs> well, that is until two white guys added that language in there. And, and to be clear, if the Interior Department was going to approve this change, how could they if one of the parties says, no, we don't agree with this change? So you, then you would have had not only New York State, but you would have had these two out of these three judges in, the, in this arbitration panel. You would have federal judges and you would have had the Interior Department all saying, uh, no, you, you got to continue to pay. And, that, and, and the, the third party of that, the Interior Department, there's no way that they were going to force this on the Seneca people. Now, the reason the Senecas now have made news because they're, they're conceding to the state is because they once again, you know, uh, got a ruling from a judge saying that, that, you know, that they had to pay. Well, and, and the fear was if they continued not paying, that they were going to get charged interest payments on, on the money that they had in escrow. So they couldn't place enough value on winning this fight. And beyond cutting the check for the half a billion dollars or $450 million and agreeing to pay throughout 20, uh, through the year 2023, the Seneca Nation has also agreed to start in, within 60 days negotiating the next compact. Well, how are they going to improve their compact? How are they going to address this revenue sharing? Well, I'll tell you how they're going to address it. They're going to enter into a new revenue sharing agreement, even though they are getting nothing of any quantifiable or substantial value from the state in exchange for. Why? So they can continue to operate because they believe they have to give this up to continue to operate. Look, I agree that the, that the state violated uh, language in the compact by forcing this, especially in, the, in this renewal period. I agree that even if they didn't violate the language, they, they, they certainly violated the intent of the exclusivity by growing out their casinos uh, on racetracks. And, and again, when you enter into this term of the compact, you have a new set of laws uh, for, for New York State that allows them to do class three gaming. But again, when anybody says, you want to um, waive your exclusivity agreement? Fine. Then the state will compete directly against you. And I say, no, they won't. Because I don't know exactly what percentage these state licensed casinos are paying, but they're paying more than 25%. In fact, some of them, I think, were paying as high as 40-something percent. And I don't know if it's the same calculations, net, net, lot, uh, net slot drop or whatever. But whatever they're paying the state, the Senecas wouldn't be paying. So who would build a casino to compete against an, a well-established gaming corporation that already has at least a 25% better operating margin, really a 50% better operating margin than you, than you do. I mean, it, you, not only would you not build that casino, nobody would finance that casino. I go back to what I said earlier. The fact is that the Senecas are more competitive by not paying they have a much better advantage in the market by not paying the state than paying the state 
for their, their, their BS exclusivity agreement. Now, I mentioned earlier sports betting because here's another example of another form of gambling that is, there's only, look, there's only so many gaming dollars in any region, in any region. And the idea that you're going to promote people to, to um, bet on sports and you're going to see Super Bowl commercials. You're already seeing them through the, through the football playoffs. And you, you hear on, uh, you know, big names like Jamie Foxx doing, uh, you know, <laughs> advertising for, for sports betting on television, on radio. And look, yeah, the, the Seneca Nation's got sports betting at the casino too. But uh, who's their competition? The state. The state has sports betting. And in fact, the state is now, even though they condemned it big time several decades ago, they're going to even allow you to, to, to place bets on your phone. You can bet by telephone. So again, more competition for the limited amount of gaming dollars in a region. And that's, and that's because the, the state is doing all that it can. And look, the state's made very clear. We hope we're going to raise X billions of dollars, X millions of dollars each year off of sports betting. They are the gaming competitor. Now, here's one of the other kickers in this thing. The current governor, Kathy Hochul, her husband, the former U.S. attorney in Western New York, is now either the CEO or, or anyway, one of the top dogs at Delaware North, which is a gaming company with state gaming uh, contracts. So you've got conflict of interest all over the place with this governor and her husband being in the gaming industry. And, and the state continuing to squeeze the Seneca's money out, revenue off, off of their gaming, extorting it with this implied threat that we, you will not have a gaming compact if you don't, if you don't, pay, if you don't play, you, uh, pay, you don't play. And this is where, I mean, this is really the, the issue. This is the crux of the issue. And it isn't just about the Seneca's, again, the Senecas are fighting most of this over the language of their compact, not over the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act itself. And this is where the Senecas are in the same boat with Native people from Oklahoma and New Mexico and California and, and other states. This is a push that all Native gaming operators should be pushing on Deb Haaland. Look, don't expect me to cheer because a Native person got put into the Interior Department as a cabinet-level secretary if you're not going to do the, if you're going to avoid doing the job, the same as the, your previous, your predecessors have done. It's on you to fix this mess. Part of the reason the, the Seneca Nation is throwing in the towel on this thing is because they haven't had the level of interior support, oversight, regulatory enforcement against the state. So while, while I do condemn the Seneca officials, elected officials, for not standing up to this more and continuing the fight. I still have to condemn the federal government. You know, look, I'm not even going to address the state. The state is corrupt as hell. But the fact that the federal government will not do its job, the Interior Department will not do its job. The Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is a very flawed law in the first place. It became more flawed when Florida challenged the only leverage that Native territories had against states who, would, uh, who were going to mistreat them. 
So here we have it. Here we have it. The Seneca Nation is going to pay out somewhere between the current half a billion that they're sending to, you know, probably an, a, at least another two, three, maybe $400 million during the, the, this term of the, of the compact and then enter into a new compact with more revenue sharing. In fact, the rumor that I heard was that the Senecas want to negotiate a compact that would be perpetual, that would not require renewal. And the reason they're doing this is because they don't want to feel in jeopardy. The only reason you would, you would enter into a compact that doesn't require a renewal is to try to bind the state to something that, they, that the state can't get out of. They're not even addressing what, what they're binding themselves to. But again, that underlying fear that the state can shut down a gaming operation is what feeds all of this. If you don't address that one question, that one question, did IGRA intend for the states to have this much of an unlevel playing field as it relates to native op gaming operations and, and negotiating a compact? And while IGRA said a gaming compact was necessary to open a casino, it doesn't spell out what happens if the state ends its compact. Casino's already open. It's been built. It's, it's, it's employing thousands of people, non-native, primarily non-native people, I, might, I, I want to remind you. It contributes, it is probably the, the single biggest contributor to the economy or among them in Western New York. So would it even make sense for the state to try to shut them down because they walked away from a gaming compact? You know, we're not playing hardball here. We're playing softball. We're, we're, we're letting the state dictate the terms of this agreement and pushing and, and really forcing the Seneca Nation into, uh, into revenue sharing. And look, the same thing happened in Oneida. Oneida didn't even do revenue sharing. They, came, they agreed to do revenue sharing later because it got tied to, to, game, to, to um, land claims. And up in, up in Aquasasne, they pay 25% too. And there's no way that the state was ever going to build a casino up there and up in the North Country uh, to take revenue. So they didn't get any real, any exclusivity. This has all been because the standard got set. Seneca Nation set the bar so low for native gaming that nations, in fact, Oklahoma, Governor Stitz, he's trying to get those casinos, those native casinos to pay as much as the Senecas are paying. 25% is, is, the, is the, the bar that the Seneca set. So everybody's holding back. Everybody's been waiting to see what are the, what's the Seneca's going to do? Are they going to gonna finally push back? Are they going to put the state where it needs to be? Put, put the state in its place? Apparently not. Now, look, this isn't over. The Seneca Nation may have cut that check and sent it. They may have paid this $450 million or $500 million to the state. But the Senecas need to be heard, will, will, have yet to be heard here, the Seneca people. And frankly, we still haven't heard from Deb Haaland. So this fight isn't over. Even, you know, again, even if the Senecas give in, I mean, some of the language from the Interior Department suggested that if they pay, it's illegal. Now, it's not going to leave the Seneca's in violation. It, it means that, the, that the, the state is illegally forcing a payment on them. So the fight isn't over. 
But the fact that the fight isn't over and the Interior Department hasn't really asserted itself in this, in this fight is all the more reason why the Seneca shouldn't pay. If you cut the check, you cut the check. It might be a done deal. And you know, you Seneca people, you got screwed. That's your money that got sent to the state. And 75% of it ain't coming back. It's, it's, it's leaving the region. It's sucking. I mean, Albany, during the Cuomo administration, used to brag about the Buffalo Billion, about how Albany was committed to putting a billion dollars in the western New York. Now, the, billion, the Buffalo Billion was the, buff, the billion that came out of the, the western New York region through Seneca Gaming. It didn't come in the region. And, you know, even if you're claiming that a billion dollars came in, it's only a wash because a billion dollars left the area. That came from people. That, I mean, that money wasn't printed here. It came from hardworking people who were gambling their dollars. And you know what? If you gamble your dollars in a, in a casino and you lose, but that money stays in the region, at least you don't lose twice. Western New York lost twice. If, if, you're, if you're a gambler and you lost money to the casino, you lost it twice. You lost it to the casino, and the casino lost it to the state. And it didn't come back. So, look, I know I've talked about this issue, and I'm going to continue to talk about this issue. But Seneca's need to know some of this stuff. There has never been the proper push. For all the money that's gone to these lawyers who are advising them to pay, who are advising them to make a deal, they could have used that money to push for a meeting with Deb Haaland. They should have used that money to pu push a meeting with the assistant secretary and the, uh, and the secretary. That's what's needed. Forget all about this these summits with Biden and, you know, sitting down for photo ops. To hell with all that crap. You've got some business to take care of. You've got your people to take care of. It's high time that the Seneca Nation stood up and did what it was supposed to do. That's pretty much all I have to say, folks. Um, as I get more information on this, I'll, I'll continue to um, to weigh in and offer my thoughts here. But these are my thoughts now. And somebody tell me I'm wrong because I guarantee the Seneca Nation does not want to pay the state. They're doing it because they believe they have to. And it's the that it's the only way they can stay open. All right, that's my comments. Um, we'll see you next time. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.